as you're going through that process, it can be a very challenging endeavor. It can feel like there's so much out there and can be kind of overwhelming. And Diamond, you served in my early process of exploring my gender in my presentation as if someone I could talk to who knew me. And I'd say these are some of my like popular individuals that I really like, really like their styles. And how could I possibly aim to get some of those structures, those fits that look good on them that I really like, that that's vibe that feels good with who I am on the inside. How can I adapt that to my body type? And you were really helpful with giving some suggestions and talking through shapes and even talking through like a couple different types of material. And uh, that was at the beginning of all of this years ago. And it, it just makes sense that you would be doing this professionally because what an asset to have somebody who takes time to get to know you. And it's like, no, we want like mm-hmm. someone who personally cares to say, this is who you want to continue growing into. Well, let's make that a reality. Welcome to Talk Your Shit Podcast. I'm your host, Diamond Ariel. And if you're Black, a person of color, or an ally, this podcast is for you. This platform gives Black entrepreneurs and creatives a space to be seen, heard, and understood. To have audacity, talk their shit, and look good while doing it. This isn't a place to be humble, rather to be yourself and take up every inch of space you deserve. So get ready because it's time for you to talk your shit. Welcome to this week's episode of Talk Your Shit Podcast. Okay, we're going to talk about the fashion industry, the creative industry, and what it's like navigating that from a queer perspective. And we're also going to get into the importance of personal growth and, you know, what it's been like adapting to different cultures because both of us have shifted from American culture to German culture and back to American culture. So this will be interesting. And I'm joined today by my girl, Kenan. How you doing? I'm doing dandy. <laughs> You're doing dandy? That's I know. Just so you know, Kenan is part of the, she's coming, she's, you know, she's invited to the cookout, just so you know. So she's, she's it, This is, this is a badge. I will, I will, I will always hold in my heart. Also, just a little heads up for, for whenever people are listening in, if you hear what sounds like a dog face planting into a window, uh, it's because it is. My my dog is hard on the hunt because it's spring and she is after any little buggies that come in the apartment due to our open patio situation. So just hey, a, a personal fly slider. I love that for you. I, was, <laughs> I, know. I wish you could join it. She's very cute whenever she's not headbutting a window. So. Yes. Yes. Of course. Of course. <laughs> So tell us about you. Tell us about your background yeah. and who who's Kenan? How did she get to where she oh is today? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. So I'm originally from West Texas. No one would ever anticipate it uh, due to my mm-hmm. lack of a strong accent and the fact that I have very Northern European features. I usually People usually guess Sweden or mm-hmm. Russia. So here we are. And I'm like, no. Anyway, backstory on there. Yeah, born and raised in a very rural texas town with a bit of dabbling in colorado during the summer my family loves the outdoors obviously and we have spent many a time exploring outdoors texas exploring outdoors in colorado lots of athletics lots of exploration my background and so it's kind of been an Mm -hmm. interesting adaptation and exploration of self-realizing like oh i have all of the skill sets of a very rural individual but i am very I'm, I'm pretty much inclined towards a more city-based 
lifestyle. I love the networking. I love the accessibility to arts and culture and language and diversity. I love having opportunity to go to the opera on one night and go to an underground alternative DJ situation the next, you know? So, um, so I have a bit of dichotomy within me, which, you know, we figure it out. It's taken time to really grow in that comfortable space. A lot of branching out, a lot of finding the right people throughout the course of my self journey. And anyway, a little detail on that. I went to school in Waco and went to Baylor, got a degree in psychology, which not mm. to anyone's real surprise once they talk to me for a couple of minutes, because I'm just like nailing them with questions. And then, of course, made my way over to Berlin, where I mm. met the lovely, illustrious Diamond. The one and only. Oh, one and only. And uh, yeah, Di the Diamond, I'm going to say Berlin, but Diamond too, really gave me a space to explore like what I have within me and mm -hmm. kind of look at those inherent qualities of myself, the questions I have, the things I hold interest in, and gave me avenues mm -hmm. to explore those, whether that be fashion, whether that be contemporary arts or just the arts in general, whether that's activism, mm -hmm. friends with different philosophies and backgrounds than what I had been very exclusively raised in. And yeah, just opportunity to explore my intellectual qualities, but also my cultural inquisities and my bit of rogueness. You, what you have not mentioned is the fact that you are a model. Oh yeah. That one's, so. that one just top, throw it on top. Mm -hmm. So what agency represents you, tell yes. us, tell us. So I am working with Alice Warren Models in Dallas, Texas. Well, they work in multiple cities across the U.S., but they are smaller. So get agency work. If you match with a smaller agency, mm -hmm. that's not bad. That means technically you get submitted for more gigs than if you joined a larger agency. So if you're new to the industry, it is definitely an asset to join a smaller agency build up your skill sets, get to know industry connections, and then work your way up. And that's, you know, there's one, there's more than one way to navigate the system. So that's been helpful to me for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, so, so what happened in your life that made you realize, Hey, I want to be a model. I want to be more in the fashion, the creative industry. What happened? Yeah. So I would say one part, it's lovely and romantic and like, Ooh, that's so fascinating. And the other part is like, well, you know, kind of like, okay, straightforward. So I'll say the romantic version fast. Romantic version was, I just really loved the artistic expression that I experienced in Berlin. I had a lot of connection and introduction to the contemporary arts, alternative artistic scene. So I have much more of like a classical background, editorial, like observation and appreciation of art and photography. And then this really out of nowhere, European alternative contemporary dance and just kind of a wall. They want to trip up your brain and art. And it's not like physically beautiful. It's this concept of like, we want you to remember us because we kind of scare you. And it worked mm -hmm. really well. And so I just was like this concept of being like, mm -hmm. Yeah, like you're going to be afraid a little bit, but like also we will be unforgettable was mm -hmm. a particular approach that I really enjoyed. It kind of helped give a very realistic perspective of art, which is you experience both beautiful, which you're like, oh, I'm attracted to that, but also the opposite, which is like, that's really scary and I don't know what to do with that. And 
if you can do the entirety of that spectrum, then I think like that's good art. You are pulling people mm-hmm. in, but you're also making people question their realities. That's good art. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the the background that made me more open to the concept of doing fashion and modeling. And so then whenever I moved to Dallas and and this is like a lot of people in any situation, I'd go out, we'd go dancing, you know, a little bit of like reggae, Colombian mix, Latin, cha-cha, salsa bachata. You know, people mm-hmm. come up to me like, oh my gosh, are you a model? Because I'm six foot. So people see me over people's heads. And uh-huh. and I do have unique <laughs> features. And I had like, I've been walk- rocking this type of hairstyle for a while, which is not traditional to the more Southern palette you could say and so i just mm-hmm. had people come up to me often asking if i was a model and i was like well if the general populace already assumes i'm doing this we might as well see if an agency thinks the same so i just started mm-hmm. submitting digitals and lucky for me i hadn't really done any modeling work and i got accepted to an agency so they were willing to take a measured risk on me because of my because of my business background and because of my professional mm-hmm. background they said well you're good at composing yourself and you have interesting artistic connections with Berlin. So surely we can make something with this. And it's been, it's been a whole ride since then. It's been really great. Yeah. And I love that you said Berlin because that does really make you unique. You having that experience. And also it's the fact that too, that you said that people are coming up to you, telling you, asking you, are you a model? You should be a model. And you're like, Hmm, let me explore Mm -hmm. this y'all. If there is something that people are like constantly pointing out, saying something about you, you should explore that because that could be like the one thing that takes you, you know, takes you places, right? That could be the one thing that you fall in love with and now you're, you know, super successful, you know? So that's really cool. And that's that's super dope. (laughs) So let's talk about you being in the fashion industry, right? And the creative world from a queer perspective. So how have you been able to really explore yourself your gender, your sexuality, um, through fashion, because honey, honestly, okay. Because you're dope and phenomenal, always serving the looks and your most recent work, y'all, y'all need to just, just, just <laughs> go on her page and just take in the magic. Okay. Because truly she is dope. So tell us, tell us about it. Yeah. And on that note, also I'll introduce myself. Like my name's Kitten. Heyo. I use they, she pronouns and identify as non-binary, but I also dab- dabble in identifying as a woman. So for me, I would say the concept of gender for me is why just be one thing? Why not explore everything? Like there's so much within a human and there's so much within myself. Why can't clothes just be clothes? Why do they have to be particularly associated with one person or another, depending on what type of body set they're built with? As you are going through the process of experiencing and exploring what not only makes me feel more myself, but also looks good on the form, the body that I do have, my unique physical qualities, my measurements, etc. As you're going through that process, it can be a very challenging endeavor. It can feel like there's so much out there and can be kind of overwhelming and diamond you served in my early process of exploring my gender and my presentation as as someone I could talk to who knew me. And I'd say, these are some of my, um, these are some like popular individuals that I really like, really like their styles. And how could I possibly aim to get some of those structures, those fits that look good on them that I really like that 
that vibe that feels good with who I am on the inside, how can I adapt that to my body type? And you were really helpful with giving some suggestions and talking through shapes and even talking through like a couple different types of material. And, uh, that was at the beginning of all of this years ago. And it, it just makes sense that you would be doing this professionally because what an asset to have somebody who takes time to get to know you. And it's like, no, we want like mm-hmm. someone who personally cares to say, this is who you want to continue growing into. Well, let's make that a reality. You know, let's help bring how you feel about yourself on the inside into alignment with how you dress and how you present outwardly. And I think that's just such a lovely asset and a role. And people should see that with the quality that that is, because it has certainly been, oh my gosh, such a lovely and resoundingly assistive tool for me as I've been exploring who I am. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. No, you you have been such a pleasure to work with. And I'm glad that I was a part of that. Yeah. And the thing for me is like, I mean, kind of help exemplify Well, this might be simplistic, but even just the concept with the hair, I get often like, oh my gosh, you make that, you make that masculine cut look so feminine. And I was like, I'm going to let you sit with your words for a second and consider Mm -hmm. maybe there's more to it than just masculine or feminine. Like there's a concept of... Mm -hmm. What looks good looks good. It doesn't have to have a gender associated to it. And and that's a, and that's where I rotate. Now, people are in different spaces, and I respect that. But for myself, I love the concept of the fluidity. Like, I get to hunt and find. I mean, you as a, you as a stylist, of course, understand this. But if you have a quality yes. garment and you get it to fit to yourself, why would you confine yourself to a particular societal ideal of being like, oh, I look really good in this type of Oh, you know, it's technically mm-hmm. usually traditionally associated with a male style. Why would I cut myself off from accessing that quality of garment and cut because it's supposed to be for somebody else with a different, you know, piece of machinery on their body? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why? Like, why? Mm-hmm. And essentially, I guess that's the whole expression for me in fashion is like the borders that have said, oh, you can only be certain things. I'm just like, well, why? Like, genuinely i just want you to i you know i and and yeah that's my whole process is repeated what else can we do with this like what other Mm -hmm. avenues of exploration are there whether it's me composing my face for a runway because i've put on a particular garment Mm -hmm. and i'm taking on that image or i'm in an editorial shoot and they're like we really want this one one type of character and i'm like Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you, yes, I'm going to show you this character that happens to be traditionally female, but I'm also going to integrate integrate these other qualities that are beyond female, and you're going to really like it if you just trust me with it. And time after time, it's worked out, and they're like, oh my God, I really like yeah. this. And I was like, it's amazing how if you multifacet something beyond just a binary, you can get a really humanistic lovely composition and you do it seamlessly thank you thank you i really i received that that's such a good compliment because it has taken it's taken a lot of intention and strategy and soul searching and of course that doesn't always that time and energy spent doesn't always show up whenever people see a lovely editorial you know shoot and they're like oh that's really cool and you're like 
Yes, it is. And it's taken a lot of time to get there. <laughs> All that to encapsulate is go beyond one label. Like, why does it just have to be male or female? Like, why can't we just enjoy beauty? I love that. Yeah. I love that wearing yeah. multiple hats. Yeah. And that's who you can also relate that to entrepreneurship. Exactly. You're not just wearing one hat, right? You're mm -hmm. not just an entrepreneur. You could be a marketer. Mm -hmm. You can also, you know, be in fashion. You can also be a model. So you can also, you know, identify with different things. And I love the fluidity of gender. And that is something that I'm still learning as well, how to communicate, that, yeah. I guess, and how to really listen to this is what I identify as, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And I'm also realizing too, how much I love working with non-binary people mm -hmm. and people who, you know, identify differently, who, who are not fully non-binary, but maybe they are experimenting or they love to make, mix mass and femme styles together. Yeah. And so that is a really cool for yeah. me and I'm still learning and it's like, it's very, very yeah. interesting. So I can't mm -hmm. wait to see all the church folk, you know, freak out and, <sighs> lose their minds. I, I thrive off of that, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah. Oh my God. And I just want to, I just want to walk off of that too, was the concept of like taking that exploration of it's not just one thing or another. It's not just masculine and feminine. It, and one of those practices that's been so helpful at articulating that balance for me has been fashion. Mm -hmm. And of course I do want to yeah. add a little proverbial asterisk that just because someone dresses one way doesn't mean that they present that way. Like, and again, that's mm -hmm. the beauty, my philosophy of clothes are clothes are clothes. Like they're on your body. They're meant to be enjoyed. They don't always have to be mm -hmm. a statement about who you are, but then mm -hmm. also there are times where people utilize clothes as a statement about who either, who they are. Oldest time phrase of don't read a book or don't judge a book by its cover, you know? Mm -hmm. Always give people space to identify themselves to you and introduce themselves mm -hmm. to you. And I think yes. that's been a skill set that I've loved going through my process of being like, I'm a queer ally to being like, oh, really queer individual. <laughs> I'm not just an ally, but I'm, but I'm actually a part of the community. Hello. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> oh, and the process of like me, myself, some some people um, assume that just like, as soon as you identify as queer, you know everything. And that's not true. There is mm -hmm. often a feeling of, I feel like an outsider. I feel like I am um, parading as something I'm not. And and the way that you can help assist that feeling of, of being an outsider parading as an insider is mm -hmm. you learn the language. You learn how to respect people that have different identifications or who like how they express themselves you learn the language you learn how to ask questions well and you continue exploring your internal space of what feels right to me and how can i practice making that physical which for me was a bit of fashion was a bit of big old bulky black cargo pants and doc martens yeah. and now you know over time has adjusted into like silky shirts and well-tailored trousers you know <laughs> you continue the process of appreciating yourself and presenting in yourself that is affirming to who you believe yourself to be and because dysphoria is a huge stumble i mean i still experience mm -hmm. it and a lot of people in the queer community do too and and frankly fashion is a helpful exploration of how do i alleviate this 
dysphoria that I experience whenever people assume yeah. I'm one thing, but really I feel from my inside that I am something else. So that's beauty of fashion for sure. Yeah. Beauty fashion for sure. And at the end of the day, you know who you are. And if people have, people are going to have their assumptions regardless yeah. of, you know, what you identify as, who you are, whatever you do, they're going to have their assumptions. They're going to have their judgments. But as long as you are secure in who you are and you know who you are and you're happy and you're, you know, loving who you are, none of that matters. Mm -hmm. And I, and it's been really great seeing you on this journey from how you started to you know where you are now so we're gonna get into how we how we met you know a little a little bit but we met in okay i'm gonna say this we met in berlin mm -hmm. we already um, started it. and how we met basically i was excited that uh because we were working for the same organization mm -hmm. and i was excited with the fact that oh my gosh there's another tall person here i am not the only tall person and not only is she tall she's taller than me so now i get to look up to her and you know and it's fine because I don't know. It was just very, it was a very great moment for me. And I was just really happy that I wasn't the only top person because yeah. everyone else was short. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we met in Berlin and we both have experienced, you know, going from American culture to German culture and, you know, returning. So reverse culture shock, y'all, is, uh, is a beast, I, I must say. So let's talk about to you know adapting to this new cultures twice right mm -hmm. and that's you know how we became good friends so let's get into the challenges that you faced adapting to german culture yeah. and then readapting to american culture and using that to catapult your career mm -hmm. today so that was that was the journey yeah let's talk about let's it let's talk about it baby <laughs> Yeah, so a little bit of insight around me was I actually had, I would say, the first large bulk of culture shock kind of already taken care of because I had done an internship, three-month intensive, like 70 hours a week internship uh, my freshman year of college in Berlin. I was working in humanitarian aid and we were working mostly in refugee centers, also facilitating with like some church communities that were coming into the, the city. And so there was this whole like church element, but my real enjoyment and focus was like, I just loved going into the refugee centers and connecting with members of the center and just getting to be like, oh my God, this is a human without a background. And their life started before they came to Berlin. And I just want to understand how I can best like, again, ask them questions and empathize to their story and treat them as who they are versus like who people from the organization were trying to summarize them into. So anyway, again, it's all of this comes back to the humanizing aspect of like, who are you? And I want to be quiet so you can tell me that whole internship was a huge directional pull into me pursuing psychology. So very, very influential for a young 19 year old. So whenever I came back to Berlin, whenever I graduated from college, which was the intention all along is as soon as I did that internship, internship i was like i'm going to start taking some german classes and i want to get back to berlin i don't know in what capacity but i want to get back there and hopefully some capacity with psychology and that's how i got back but i think the biggest thing going back was this this balance of what my organizational responsibilities were and the concepts of what I wanted to actually explore. And I began to realize, kind of even while I was there, maybe I shouldn't have come with this organization, not because of a negative on their end, but rather because I realized what we originally set out to do, which was in line, was working with psychologists, you know, doing refugee-related work. Unfortunately, due to COVID, didn't get to happen. 
And so then I begin to look at it like, well, who is going to be able to foresee that? Nobody. <laughs> so no judgment right. there. But, you know, if I had been here with a slightly different setup, I probably would have responded to the situation differently. It could have been better. It could have been worse. When I got to Berlin, biggest cultural shifts were the bureaucracy, you know, visa paperwork. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be here for middle to long term, you know, two years. Like this whole process is crazy, especially during the pandemic. And learning a new language while in lockdown, it was like uh. three to four hours straight of learning German, followed by me just rolling onto the ground, like proverbial, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> but goodness, yeah, I would say a lot of my culture shock was heavily disrupted by the fact that when I would have been experiencing normal culture shock, I was experiencing COVID pandemic. So but yeah, the bureaucracy right. is a difficult to adjust to. And also the connectiveness, you know, and also, and that was different. Whenever I got farther away from Berlin, it became more difficult to connect with people. But whenever I was in Berlin, there's mm -hmm. such an international community. And even then people are, mm -hmm. happen to be a bit more open and willing to connection because it is such a fast moving city. I think the pervasive thought is you never know who you're going to run into. So you might as well like open the door for some form of interaction. And then once you realize maybe that may not be my course of action, you can like graciously step aside or in the German way, kind of bluntly step aside, be like, great, have a good time connecting with other people. So I made some really great friends when I was in Berlin and I didn't experience quite as much high wall, like hard to connect with people qualities that I did experience whenever I was trying to connect with individuals in more pretty straightforward German circles mm -hmm. that weren't quite as international and fast paced as the Berlin central to help context with that. I was centered in Berlin for the first around like the first seven months of being in Germany. And then after that, I was centered in a smaller town outside of Berlin. So, so how was that transition from Berlin back? What was that? It was <laughs> not the face. What was that like for you? Because you're talking about like the journey, how yeah. it was there and the connections that you made, which yeah. the connections that I made too there, it was just, mm -hmm. it was truly magic. It was just something different, you know, and you got to meet some of them. Like when they had that, when we had that bougie, was... I had the bougie all white going away party on the boat. Y'all, I did the most. Okay. And it was, it was so it was good. Spicy. It was spicy. It was spicy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it was, it was truly amazing. It was, it was a beautiful, I genuinely, yeah. whenever I think about ideal summer party situations, I, that goes down in my book and I use it as a framework for my future organize, like organizing. So that. you did such a great job and the entirety so of vibes was perfection. So yeah, it was great. Oh, a moment I'll never forget, moment but forget. yeah, tell us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. In short, it made me severely selective in who I allowed into my circles of influence because I was like, mm. now that I've been to a place, I know. Tapped on something there. Go ahead. Yeah. And again, good. Like, now that I'd been in Europe, I was really intentional with who I allowed to speak into my circles because I was like, if I cannot connect with you and, but again, it's like respect to you, you're still learning and developing, but I want to find people who I can empathize with, who can think mm -hmm. in these ways and have experiences that lend themselves towards, as always with no surprise, mm -hmm. a lot of questions and 
an appreciation for more than just their experience and allowing people Mm -hmm. who have differences of opinions to still be right. The concept of we might disagree, but that doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong. It could just mean that exactly disagree. And so that's been the, Mm -hmm. the overwhelming process I followed is just finding people who are very open to experiences and very open to different philosophies and worldviews. And obviously I'm queer, so (laughs) bro queer is definitely a necessity. And yeah, yeah. and sometimes like, and thankfully I've, I've found some really lovely communities and the, the manifestation of that is the concept of a lot of these Mm -hmm. people end up with very strong creative qualities. It's not a surprise that some of my friend groups have a balance of engineering and high musicality qualities. Like they have both possess mm-hmm. both in the same, same way mm-hmm. I possess both. So yeah, I would say that the most helpful quality that I have found in adapting back to not only America, but the South mm-hmm. <laughs> has been finding yeah, ooh, people no. who continue to test the grain and aren't confined by societal expectations. Yes. And speaking of confined, um, <laughs> I know exactly where you're going. We both come from religious backgrounds where you are overly confined to keep yourself in a box mm-hmm. where you're expected to be a certain way all the time. So we both have dealt with, you know, having an identity crisis (laughs) and being confused on who we were, what we wanted to do, who we wanted to be, right? And for people who have also experienced this, with having this background, know that it can be a toxic environment. It can be very draining and ultimately it can affect you for the rest of your life, right? Mm -hmm. So tell us about that background and how you've been able to overcome that toxicity and use it for your success. Yeah. So this has been, I mean, this is whenever I pull in the psychology terms, of course. So I'm double weeding at you. Um, (laughs) I mean, something, and also my dog is next to me. So if you hear more noises, it's because she's come to get attention. Something that people who are accustomed to the religious community and have adjusted out of it will be very conscious of the concept of a lot of the world including the members of the community and any members who are not in the community, there's this constant measurement stick of what's right and what's wrong and where do you fit Mm. on that. And so then naturally there's internal right and wrong and that's used as a filter by which you inspect everything and you inspect yourself, which naturally leads into a lot of guilt and shame. And often communities, mm-hmm. uh, often individuals and communities in the religious setting say, we're here to release our guilt and shame and hand it off to Jesus. And the thing is though, their practices in general still necessitate a guilt and shame perspective of viewing the world, which is just an unfortunate mm-hmm. situation. And and again, it's like sometimes they offer tools, but whether they realize it or not, it's still causing a cyclical rotation. And again, I know that people can get on me with a lot of theology and also like I'm open to it. If you want to come and jump and give me theological questions, I'm here. I'm ready to talk. And if I'm not ready to talk, I'll tell you. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Boundaries. <laughs> but in general, I'm open. <laughs> but yeah, no. And so well, along with that right and wrong lens of, our, you know, it's right, it's wrong. There's a lot of societal expectation of like, this is what you should be. This is what you should pursue. If you were going to be good, then you would do X, Y, Z. But if you're bad, then clearly these other activities will be in your repertoire. And so naturally that can be a very confining space and it can cause in some way uh, (laughs) a very cookie cutter image. In the South, it's like everybody's wearing the same thing. There are four permitted outfits and they're all wearing them and that is odd you know and that's very specific to the south and that's the thing is like religion permeates and is cultures all over the world but my background is the south and it's just yeah there is like a very specific outfit like very particular sundress style outfits and i just like i tried that for years and i always felt really out of place and i was like if this is a game i am losing every single level like i don't know how to do this and then I began to realize, like, maybe this isn't my game to play. Like, there are rules mm-hmm. that are not meant for me. And if I continue playing by those rules, I will always lose. And so that realization has helped me significantly over the years of exploring. There are other narratives for my life besides getting mm-hmm. married in my mid to late 20s and having children by my early mm-hmm. 30s. There's a lot more opportunity out there. And certainly living in a foreign country such as Germany was really helpful to see other people exemplifying those other narratives and options for life and how to live it. And of course, within the religious context, there's a lot of right and wrong, and there's a lot of purity and impurity mm-hmm. definitions. And of course, naturally, yeah. as a queer individual, like I still have to battle a lot of those roots within me of like purity culture specifically. So One thing that I have observed and has been really helpful for me within Mm -hmm. stepping away and transitioning out of the religious community has been this concept that often it was a, you must trust God, you must, you know, you yourself are a sinner, your body is going to, is going to, is going to strive against you, you can't trust your body, you can't trust your desires, you can't trust all these things. It was a very Mm -hmm. external locus of control which is a psychology term and there wasn't very much internal locus of control which eventually essentially means like i am capable of making changes and i can affect my future and to some extent that is very true you can affect like you can make choices and then in some terms there are external choices outside of your control like taxes uh that you can't really get around <laughs> while we're in the season today's tax day Just- y'all press that just just gonna just gonna tap on that bruise a little bit and so something that's been really helpful as i've been adjusting away from the religious community and also just observing like what is my concept of spirituality because i have experienced very spiritual Mm -hmm. things in my lifetime and like where does that come Mm -hmm. from you know so there's a lot of caustic nature within the religious community and it's kind of interesting saying that as someone who's been very committed within the religious community with good intentions and then also seeing despite my good intentions bad things still happen from them in that process of rotating out the concept of like i can trust myself my body is trying to communicate to me and i have been shutting it down for so long because i have been told and i have told myself my body is not trustworthy Mm. taking those practices of grounding myself and listening to 
signals of discomfort or signals of pleasure or signals of frantic worry or whatever they may be for my body and saying, I hear you. It is okay. I'm receiving your messages and I'm going to respond to them has been really changing for me. So whenever you're so accustomed to denying your body of its messages, you do have to bring yourself closer to it, whether that be walks in nature, whether that's journaling, whether that's like EMDR tapping, you know. And for me, it's just been looking at my, my self-talk. How do I talk to myself when I'm alone and nobody else is there and something really riles me up? Like, what language do I refer to myself with? Am I being kind? Mm -hmm. Am I being caustic to myself? Um, so yeah, that process of being what would be considered in the religious community selfish mm -hmm. and not offering parts of, of myself all the time to this particular community when their expectation is like, no, you should always be available for this or that. And me being like, no, no. I am not mm -hmm. taking that selfish step and realizing, no, that is just respectable to myself that's mm. not selfish it's just respectable and honest exactly whenever my body says it's had enough then it's had enough and i shouldn't continue yeah. rejecting that and even with that too listening to your body is extremely yeah. important and for some reason in the religious community they're like no don't don't listen to yourself because you know you're you're but you're not trustworthy right mm -hmm. and just like you said and so growing up for me i feel like i can never trust myself so i always have to listen to other people like my ideas like i was i would say yes i want to work in fashion and i want to be a stylist or i want to be a designer or whatever yeah. people would be like no you shouldn't do that you should go be a yeah. nurse because that's more safe uh -huh. you can that's where you know you can make the most money yada yada and so it was like i feel like i can never really trust myself with the decisions that i wanted to make and so it was really intense for me as a as a kid and then just, you know, going through middle school and high school, it was like, I was going through this whole identity crisis of like, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am, who I want to be. And, you know, I don't know what I want to do for my career. Like, what do I do? And so the opportunity to move to Berlin, of course, I had people who were like, no, you shouldn't do it. No, mm -hmm. you can't make it. I made it anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, right. And that for me was me figuring out who I am. And that was finally me listening to my body, listening to what are my desires? What do I want to do with my life, right? What makes me happy? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we have to leave the place that we're from in order to figure out who do we want to be? Listening to ourselves and not listening to other people. Because once you're listening to everyone else's voices, but your own, you're just going to continue to be lost. And so, yeah, the whole concept of like religion is wild. But at the end of the day, I know what I believe in. I know who I am. And if you have a problem with it, be, be free to, you know, hit that unfriend button. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the post. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, <laughs> If you don't like it, you don't have to give attention to me. Okay, bye. Yeah, that's yeah. it. You know, and the people who do accept me for who I am, mm -hmm. they're going to come. And I am more than happy to release you because I am not going to force you to stay in my life when you are causing me stress, when you are overstepping my boundaries, mm -hmm. you know. And you also mentioned, too, that Berlin was really a place that made you evaluate your friendships and be careful who you let in your circle. Mm -hmm. And that's true for me as well. Like I realize how selective I am with the people who I, you know, give my energy to. <laughs> and I realize I'm in a better place because of it. Like, yeah. girl, our friend group, okay, the people that like I've connected you with, we I, we literally just when we come together, just magic. It's okay. Literally pure so, synergy. Uh, and I have photo evidence. Yours. <laughs>
does. She has photo evidence. So good. Really, though. You actually mentioned, you know, some of the challenges that you've gone through, but what other challenges have you faced as a model and how do you continue to work through them? Because we know, baby, modeling is not easy, okay? You make it look easy, that's because it's your job, but it is not easy. So tell us, baby, (laughs) tell us. Okay, kind of the concept of how people, when you say, oh, I do this, because I hold it, like, I don't just do modeling, you know, I love modeling. It is my total creative outlet, and it is a total avenue for me to continue challenging myself in qualities of myself that don't always get to be challenged in my everyday like normal job. And so modeling, you show up at a casting and they're like, oh, the model's here. And I mean, I've seen some skeptical individuals and frankly, they don't really come after me because I'm usually taller than they are. <laughs> I'm, six, I'm a six foot Valkyrie Amazon body type. They're not going to come try to be a little sneaky slinky, like go on a date with me after the show. No, they tend to go after the little 18 year olds like on at the runway mm-hmm. shows and there's just this concept of like oh you're a model and you're being put on display mm-hmm. that must mean that you're accessible and easy to get away with and it's just like they are a human i know models who are going in for their phd's I have, I know models who are in the midst of their masters. I know models that are social workers. I know models that are full-time models and they don't give a fuck about who's trying to get up in their DMs because they've got standards Mm -hmm. that are sky high. And it's this concept of like, you can see me as a display. You see me as accessible to you and you could not Mm -hmm. be, be farther from the truth. And the thing is, there's a reason why you're going after the young individual who's still trying to figure out how to speak up for themselves in these types of situations Mm -hmm. because it's exciting and i do not blame them for being excited by the attention that is not wrong it's just that the fact that the attention is coming from a middle-aged man who should know better you know (laughs) so that's the that's the other concept is as soon as you talk about i'm a model people assume like oh you're pretty and you're stuck up but for some people that might be the reality but for most of the people no it's not the reality it's there's a lot more to it than that the other concept with modeling which is something like i have a history behind so i have to actively be very aware with it within myself again the whole listen to your body and be connected to it quality is the conversation around body image and the conversation around nutrition and how you accomplish the very high ideals and glamorous expectations. So, and that comes around to nutrition and physical activity. And naturally that also segues into like different types of body disorders, eating disorders. And um, Mm. thankfully, I've had some really good conversations with other models in the field who've been doing this and are very successful. And we talk about not fucking around, like, Mm -hmm. how do you stay healthy whenever an atmosphere is so primed for a very caustic body image? And even me, like, Mm. as my size, like, I naturally have a very strong and prominent rib cage which makes like a smaller waist kind of harder to achieve for me like and i'm strong honey's got abs and like that also naturally makes it for like that little snatched waist a little hard for me to achieve and if i were to get down to those expectations which again that's a whole nother process and i could change my lifestyle but i know how my body feels best and healthy but the expectation is still like you need a 24 25 inch waist i've had conversations with models who've done runaway in new york and la and milan and they 
talk about they want a inhuman expectation of chest to waist ratio. And it's just like, who has these measurements and is able to operate in a healthy manner? And again, that is not shame on smaller members of our society. That's no shame at all. It's just there it, when it comes down to the rubber on the road, like, are you being healthy? And is your mm-hmm. body thanking you for it? And at one point you begin to realize like, if, if we're trying to perform all of this fashion forward stuff at the expense of the human, is it worth it? That's my question is at one point, do you just start questioning the expectation, the way things have always been, always been again, line of reasoning that comes from my gender expression, the line of reasoning that's been very pervasive in my transition out of the religious community is like, what, what is the expense and is it worth it? And if it's not, then we should reevaluate and adjust immediately. In the end of the day, my voice may not carry as much weight. And so I'm really looking forward and hoping for larger voices in the industry to speak out against this unhealthy expectation. And also I'm looking forward to the speaking out against uh, or speaking into not only diversity, but inclusion in the fashion industry. I had a lovely conversation with someone we both admire and adore, and I'm pretty sure has been on your show, Mark Baker Sanchez. Um, yes, first episode plug. I remember, and it is stuck in my head because they said it so well. This was a little over a year ago, and we were in their living room. It was all, it was us three, Mark, you and I, and then my best friend, Hannah. And we were talking mm-hmm. about diversity and inclusion. And and Mark said, diversity is great, but without inclusion, it's just performative. And I was like, you're 100% correct. And that's what I've seen a bit with the fashion industry is this performative without actually making a difference. And Mm -hmm. like, we're filling all of our slots. So someone doesn't say we're politically incorrect and doesn't, you know, block us from progressing forward. But at the end of the day, are we actually making more diversity available to people, whether Mm -hmm. it's age, body type, like ethnic background, gender, like, are we really making those changes? And that's kind of been my question and the, and the pleasure that I've gotten to roll with in this Dallas fashion network. And hopefully as I'm developing beyond is that concept of you can spout to me your performative stuff, but like, I'm going to pressure, I'm going to put my finger on that bruise if it's actually just performative, but it it is super important. And I'll just re re say what Mark said is yeah. Diversity without inclusion is just performative activism. It's just false marketing. It's not actually making more opportunities for people with diverse backgrounds. And the thing about us is we can read through the bullshit. So we can tell if you're trying to use this model, use this person who identifies as queer, non-binary, whatever that identifying you're trying to be like, yes, we're we're pro-LGBTQ. No, we can read through it. Okay, that's like having a panel of white people and having one black person and saying you're diverse. Stop this. But that is well... Well, beautifully said. Thank you. You've talked about the challenges. You've talked about your journey. Mm-hmm. You've talked about how the hell you even got here, right? So let's talk about the receipts. Let's get into the receipts. Oh, boy. Baby. Because, uh-huh. Yeah. I'm going I'm to need you to brag. And there will be no humble bragging. We'll be full bragging. <laughs> you know me. Thank you. Full thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So what type of brands have you been able to represent as well as the type of runway shows? Yeah. I'll be, I'll be watching you, but they don't, they don't know. So I'll tell them. It's true. It's true. I know you're in my corner, baby. I know you're there. 
It's always good. Nice to have diamond in your corner. Get you a diamond. Oh, get you a diamond. <laughs> so yeah, I've been really lucky. Kind of right out the door, I got to partner with a local Dallas designer and I walked in her show. It's called Vache, V apostrophe C-H-E. And I walked in her show. It was my first show I'd ever walked in. And it was really eye-opening experience for me. It was a good experience to have under my belt. And that's something I definitely recommend is if you have an opportunity to work with a local designer, do it because it's a really great way to get connected with a lot of different stylists, makeup artists, photographers, etc. It's a very wise and a very informative experience. And that was the first person I walked with. And since then, I've done editorial work for that label's website, which they're, you know, as with everything, it takes time to do those photos and develop website stuff. But we, I got accepted to be the face of their fashion editorial shots for fall and winter. And so that was, again, yeah, it was like, okay. And again, I'm going to be like a little insider is if people see the potential and you don't come in and be like, but this is my first ever, whatever. No, you take that potential and you run with it because if they've seen quality, you've got it. You don't have to say, but this is my first ever. I don't know how to do this. No, you just like, well, they've seen something they liked. And so I'm just going to find my comfort zone and I'm going to roll in it until we get what we need. And that's kind of what happened was clearly something worked. There was something that really hit it on the dot and they trusted me. So I took that trust and I ran with it. And um, since then, I've had some really good connections with like local businesses, a lot of like local business representation. And this has been like partially through my agency. Agency has been really helpful. And I'm still working on like garnering more editorial work, but I've done several really fortuitous and fortunate collaborations with local photographers. That's been my cup of tea and so much fun because that Mm -hmm. really allows us to bring together stylist photographers with different kind of vibes and make a really interesting composition and uh and i like the feeling of control of being like this is our inspiration and i chose you because i liked how you showed a propensity towards skill set a b and c and we're going to be working with this stylist and this makeup director you know and it's just like it's a good feeling and the thing is, and it's like, and, you're, and I'm not coming in with a haughty attitude. It's like, no, I really like, if you're up for a collaboration, I'd love to do this. And thus far, it's been really successful because people like it whenever you treat them like humans and you hold a yeah, skill set. Surprise, right? Yeah, it's amazing. When you, when you, <laughs> what? <laughs> and that's another concept is fashion is such a who you know, what you know, and how you treat people industry. So be mm. kind. It, it doesn't exactly. take tons of effort. Be kind. And so, yeah, so those collaborations have been like such an energizer for me as I've been developing my portfolio and developing my connections. And recently, oh yeah, this is a big one. Recently I walked in the Dallas Fashion Week and- Yeah, you did. That was really good. That was very, that was like my intrusive thought. And it just, I let it run. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm just, I can see your eyes like, "Mm mm-hmm. Are you going to finally say it? And- um, I love it was it was so good for me. Again, a really good runway experience and I love the feeling whenever you are you've got 
your gown or your outfit, you've got your garments on and it's you're able to adapt to this other character to make those garments come to life. And then as soon as you hear that, mm, 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 that music going on and you hear the cameraman, you get your signal to go. I mean, that feeling is really addictive. <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to come in and I'm still going to play this character. You know, it's going to be unquestionable the character I'm playing, mm -hmm. but I'm also going to be highly inaccessible to you. And, mm -hmm. uh, and you're, it's going to make it even more appealing that you try to get some attention and it's yeah. just also it's been kind of pleasant because people who are like oh you're inaccessible okay it's like kind of wards off the right people and attracts the other kinds that are good so mm -hmm. that's been really I've had a good success rate with that as well so that's been really fun and i'm yeah i'm still out here loving the collaborations working with more editorials with my agency that's super dope i i love to i love to hear of it just just here just sitting here hearing you just go on about like all your successes and that's happening it just makes me happy so as we are closing out this episode what are three final pieces of advice that you want to leave with those who are trying to navigate the creative industry as queer or part of the lgbtq plus community mm -hmm. yeah and i mean just show up unquestionably as yourself say your pronouns show up you know, find an agency. If you are going to explore agency, which again, that process of finding an agency isn't just one way or another. You don't immediately hop into an agency usually, but sometimes you might. And if you're applying to an agency, I suggest you be as you are. And if they're saying, like, are you male or female? You're like, oh, and if you're done non-binary, I'm non-binary. You just be honest. They know where you sit. Say it from the forefront if that's what you're comfortable with. Another quality that I would say is whenever you're showing up as, your, as yourself, that's magnetic. The fashion and modeling industry relies on magnetic individuals that have a pull about them, an unquestionable essence, one could say, that draws the eye. And whenever you are doing the work to prepare yourself to step into those spaces and you have prepared to be yourself despite what people might throw at you or what they might expect you to be, that is magnetic. And people will remember you whenever you are not trying to adapt yourself to fit into a slot that's been pre-shaped. So I guess that's not just a fashion industry thing. That's an all everywhere life thing, but it is certainly, it is a currency that certainly runs in the fashion runway scene for sure. Another quality, these aren't probably, these are a little bit mushed. There's not just like a one, two, three, but they all come together. I promise it will be Kenan's version of succinct. Whenever you're in these spaces, you are naturally garnering a lot of attention and people will be asking for your attention. They'll be asking for your energy and your time and your skill sets. And all of a sudden you might be encountering more requests for you than you have had before. And when it comes to that time, do not sell yourself short. Don't do things for free unless it is a Never. collaboration between you and a photographer where you're saying, I'm not paying you, you're not paying me. It is a collaboration, a time for photos. That that's a that's a different chapter. I'm talking about runways. I'm talking about photo shoots. I'm talking about brands. Do not do things for free. People will try to bolster you with attention and with like exposure. And again, I understand there's time in your in your career where you really want to get more experience and exposure might be what you need at that time. But if you are looking at your rates and you're like, I'm worth a solid $75 an hour plus, don't go do an exposure something or another. 
make it worth it. And if you ever need assistance with that, reach it out to an agency or reach out to other people in the industry that might be helpful with how to start those conversations. Your time is worthwhile. Don't let people try to take it from you without making it worth your time. The last thing in advice is protecting your energy and your time fiscally, but then also protecting your energy whenever you're getting ready for a shoot or you're getting ready for a runway. For example, like the Dallas Fashion Week was a three-day runway week, but at like New Year Fashion Week, you might be there for a week plus, which means you are in a high energy, energy draining situation for days upon days upon days from early hours to late hours. And in preparation for those things, you need to know what are my tools for controlling my environment as much as possible. If that is sound canceling headphones to help keep out the glare of people chitter chattering while everything's going on, do that. If that is making sure you give yourself air time, meaning getting out to some fresh air or just getting into a corner away from everything, like once every two or three hours, do that. You need to have your tips and tricks to keep yourself and your central nervous system grounded for those high energy locations that require a lot of stimulation. You need to have those beforehand and you need to have them ready to be accessible to you because the nature of show day is that at least 17 things will go wrong and out of plan. Mm. And then it'll become an expectation that you adapt to everything as soon as people say it. So by nature of balancing that out, you need to have as much control as you possibly can, you know, and until you go to a place where you're like really able, you're really familiar with the space and you're able to foresee that a plan may not go to plan, may not go as planned. You need to be protecting your energy because as with everybody, your first six months on the job are going to be rough and you're going to be learning a lot. And then until you have a lot of exposure and a familiarity with the scene, it's going to take a lot more energy out of you to adapt on the dime, which fashion industry, runway, everything requires adapting on the dime. Drop on the dime. I don't even know the phrase anymore. That's my leftover from Germany. I cannot do American idioms at all. <laughs> I understand. I can't do just English at all, but it's fine. But yeah. hey, beautifully said, you. protecting your energy, boundaries, be you, be authentic. Mm -hmm. Love all of that. Well, Kenan, my love has been a long time coming, but thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for being on this week's episode of Talk Your Shit Podcast. I am honored to have you here and honestly honored to be your friend because we have we, we we you know been through the, the list on shit you know what i'm saying and just the support that we have for one another is something that not everyone can replicate and i appreciate you so much i appreciate you and, too yeah so tell the tell the people where they can find you oh my gosh yes please also i want to say like <laughs> it is a delight being your friend and i am so pleased that we got to connect and i got to woo you over oreo cupcakes in berlin <laughs> oh, oreo cupcakes y'all Oh, yeah. the number of times I was like honey I'm in your neighborhood and I have cupcakes she's like are they Oreos I'm like of course they are great I'm coming over <laughs> yeah so you can find me on Instagram primarily at first name last name Kenan K-E-N-N-E-N underscore Dickens D-I-C-K-E-N-S so that's how you find me on Instagram and uh, love to have you over. You can come see some of those shots that Diamond's been talking about. Love to have conversation with you guys. Reach out if you have more questions. I'm I always want to be a an asset for that. So it would be a pleasure. Yes, 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 yes. Love you so much, and I will literally see you in like three weeks. Yeah, you will. <laughs> You're gonna see a lot of me. Okay.
<laughs> Thank you for listening to Talk Your Shit Podcast. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram at queen underscore of diamonds. Let me know what you thought of today's episode by leaving a review and tagging me on social media. Stay audacious and I'll catch you in the next episode.